there. Thanks for being part of another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. We've got another fantastic, inspiring duo for you today, Alex Rodriguez and Danny Lappin. Together, they are part of a historic preservation, revitalization, community building, business incubating project in the town of Lexington, New York. There's a lot going on here. It all starts with Alex beginning to fix a historic property called Lexington House. That turned into providing pop-up space for local businesses, room for local arts creation, and ultimately a vision for a renewed community hub in this historic town. Then Danny, who's an environmental planner and representative on the Otsego County Board near Lexington, also got plugged into Alex's project, and he's bringing his knowledge of local regulations to help with the process and hopefully clearing some of those regulations away so that this project can flourish. What you'll hear in this conversation is Alex and Danny's deep dedication to taking small bets and incrementally strengthening their community with a strong town's approach. They are tapping into the history of their place while also building on the strength and passion of their neighbors here and now. Whether you're interested in supporting local business growth or revitalization of historic spaces or investing in community development, these are all key aspects of building strong towns. And Alex and Danny are approaching this work with a bottom-up mindset that's rooted in their place. Like all of our guests on this show, Alex and Danny are people who genuinely care about their town and have stepped up to make it stronger. Their work is an inspiration to me and I hope for you too. So enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone and welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast from Strong Towns. Today's guests are Alex Rodriguez and Danny Lappin, two Strong Towns advocates in Lexington, New York, who are working on a community redevelopment project, reclaiming a historic building and space in their town. Danny and Alex, welcome to the podcast. Rachel, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. This is a dream come true. Well, we are glad to have you. So could you each start by telling us a little about yourself and your community, the place that you live, the place that you work, however you want to define community? Alex, maybe we can start with you. Sure, absolutely. I am a New Yorker originally from Long Island. I grew up in New Hyde Park. Uh, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school uh, named Shamanad. I've always been super active in hiking. I swam varsity, played sax. I went on to study biology at NYU and then law in Brooklyn. For the past about 15 years, we've been living in Brooklyn with my wife. Um, We have a two-month-old child, so that's been adding to a bit of sleep deprivation lately. So it's been exciting also. I'm the second of four children. And basically, we would go up to Bel Air and Hunter Mountains in the Catskills, where the property is, um, kind of my adopted community. The community is the reason why we're there. And it's also... I think what will propel the this project forward. It's an amazing community. Lexington Town is a mix of uh, it's families who've been there for generations, newcomers, second homeowners. Uh, it's about 800 year-round residents and about 1,100 part-timers. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's it's a historical hamlet surrounded by mountains, shaped and divided by the Shohari Creek, which runs right through the middle. And it's the Shohari Creek. I, apparently, it's where they invented fly fishing. It's also a tributary of the New York City watershed uh, drinking water system. 
and it's inside of a park. It's it's a park kind of the size of Long Island, and it's owned largely by the state DEC, Department of Environmental Conservation, and New York City because of the drinking water. And it's about two hours north of Manhattan, so uh, it's it's a it's an amazing town, and it's really well run. I would I would say. It's and the people who run it are really the caring residents. And there's each of them. I've heard it said a few times that each of them wears a few different proverbial hats. And it, there's a lot of artists and makers and and growers and doers. Um, so it's it's a brilliant town. Yeah, great. And just really quickly, I wanted to ask for you, Alex, are you still living in Brooklyn mostly, or do you kind of balance your time in and out of both of those communities? Or are you now like more full-time in Lexington? Yeah. So because of COVID, as I imagine for many people, it changed the situation a lot. So we spent the larger part of the year there. So basically, as soon as lockdown happened in March, we were there until pretty much the end of the year. The thing is that the buildings that we have right now are not well weatherized. So in the winter, they got really cold and we got a new wood-burning stove, but things are in need of renovation. So for summertime and for fall, it was great. Winter's uh, challenging. Some pipes froze. And so we went back to Brooklyn um, in about mid-November, late November, and we plan to be back they're starting back again in March, but we do split time. Danny, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your communities. Oh, great. So I wear many hats. I serve as an environmental planner with a small nonprofit here in Otsego County. So we're at the western slope of the Catskills. I serve as a, a chair of our local planning commission here in the city of Oneonta. And I'm also a county legislator in my spare time, which is very small. So, um, Wow, you're busy. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So our community, our county has basically about 60,000 people. Um, an overwhelming majority of our communities do not have access to municipal planning services. So what we've been doing a lot day to day is trying to start these bottom up revolutions that Alex really embodies. Here in the city of Oneonta, we recently received a $10 million grant to revitalize our struggling downtown. But a lot of the work has been done from the top down. And I thought to myself, I need to find somebody who's working in a rural community from the bottom up. And so I came into contact with Alex through Instagram and thought to myself, here's somebody who embodies the strong town ethos of taking many small bets and really generating wealth in the community. So I became involved with him because I felt I would be remiss to not capitalize on finding someone who is so dedicated to their town and dedicated to helping their community grow. So I wanted to take all the lessons I've learned through my career and invest them in Lexington and hopefully use Lexington as an example to Oneonta of how strong citizen-led movements can be. Very cool. Let's talk more about this project. Alex, you started this project and you know, flesh this out and correct me if I'm not quite describing it well, because it seems to have many parts, but you're renovating a historic building, Lexington House, and then also the surrounding land to be like a gathering space and a resource for the city. Um, How did this all get started? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I refer to it sometimes as this absurd opportunity that we've been presented with, because it is, it is, it does have a lot of components, like you mentioned, and it just keeps getting bigger. Is part of the thing. So as soon as I get my head around it, it actually gets bigger. And Danny came in, and it actually grew 
in the sense that we got more people who are collaborating and interested in doing what we're doing. But I can kind of go back. We had been looking for a place in the Catskills for as a as a place to stay, um, maybe a, a second home or a place to spend time in the winters and the summers because there's always something to go to the Catskills for. So we'd always been looking. And we, we love investing in real estate and renovating. And so we're both from big families. So we love being around a lot of people and, and entertaining. And we wanted to have a place to do all that. But then when we were confronted with this, it's an old resort. It's an 1880s resort, right? So it has so many parts and it's been used for so many things over so many years. And then it's been neglected for the past at least 20 years. It happened, really. It, it wasn't something that we were necessarily looking to do. We weren't looking to own a hotel, but we weren't necessarily trying to get into a project like this. But once we got into it, we realized that we're almost like beholden to a responsibility to the place and to the town to make it better. I'm actually, in general, not a person who is like loves public speaking or kind of putting myself out there. But through the project and through kind of getting involved in like understanding the Strong Towns framework and learning about developing a project like this, I realized that it was very important that I did. And that's actually one of the ways that we met Danny. It's the way we met a lot of different people. So it really started kind of organically. And in that sort of organic development of when we were confronted with, okay, now what do we do? How do we make this go? We spent kind of the first year getting our heads around the size of the project and all the history that we're going to continue the legacy around. Recently, we've started the conversations and that reinforced a lot of the ideas that we already kind of started naturally. We took a lot of small bets, really, and we didn't know that they were referred to as small bets or that it was part of this sort of uh, the Strong Towns framework. That's kind of how it started. And when we got the property, I wanted to give people a, a signal that something was happening with the place. And I came across a uh, an old school bus in the city. It said something's cooking on it. And it was white in color and it was converted to a food truck. And so I said, no, this is perfect. So I, I bought it and I parked it. It was secondhand. It like, didn't work very well. So it was, it was cheap. Bought it, put it in front of Lexington House and made an art space out of it inside, kind of like an installation piece. And and that was kind of the first step. And people, it definitely piqued people's curiosity. People understood, yes, yeah, something's cooking in this in this place. And um, later on, in the, the so the summer of 2020 came around, and some friends of ours needed a place to stay. And I said, look, why don't you go to the Catskills? It's beautiful, and you can start your own little cottage industry because yeah, you you want you know you need to make some money. So here, this is the way I can help you. And they set up a little business there and they, they did pretty well. Then they had to go back. They went to Argentina and basically seamlessly, they had connected with so many people by that point that a, a pastry chef who had been uh, displaced from the city who was at her home in Prattsville, which is just down the road, asked if she could sell pastries from there. And I thought that was perfect. And in the next few months, it was basically, there was no transaction between she and us, uh, Diane Apostolicus. And she started, she basically started a cottage industry. It's called Catskill Bake Works. And in the second month of operation, she already had people waiting in front of the, the little school bus before she 
would open up in the morning and they would buy up a lot of the favorite cookies or whatever she was doing that that day. And there was a weekend business. And it was not knowing that that was a small bet, not knowing that I was kind of in the process of job creation or kind of helping people uh, acting as an incubator for small businesses. Like I, Strong Towns gave us a name for what we were doing and it, it was encouraging. So that's that's how it started. And it, since then, a lot of little things have happened. We've had small events and excited to see what the future brings. Very cool. And Danny, you talked a little bit about kind of finding Alex, but yeah, what's your involvement in this project been like? It's been pretty amazing. So every day I'm working with town officials and we're kind of banging our heads against the wall trying to figure out how to engage the public, how to open up zoning regulations to allow activities like Alex's to flourish. And this is a rare instance where I I find the activities uh, flourishing organically. There's no big grant, there's no state money, there's no active involvement from the government. Um, And so part of what I want to do is to help Alex's group navigate bureaucratic review processes, help the state and local governments become partners and enablers, rather than throwing up roadblocks through unnecessary zoning restrictions such as parking minimums, such as lot size. I want to help uh, the town understand what Alex is trying to do from a regulatory perspective and enable them to allow that to happen and flourish throughout the town. And using Alex as a perfect example as someone who's trying to really inject wealth back into the community. Wow. It sounds like a really powerful partnership. Danny's, uh, him coming on board has been uh, really encouraging too. And he's just one of many people who we've connected with, but Danny, with his experience in government and acting as a liaison with the towns is already making important strides in, in my, even like in my own conception, moving the project forward. Like I I didn't, I've never done this sort of thing. We've done renovations and things, but never done anything that sort of behaves like a a miniature mega project. I, I did study that a little bit in law school, but I never really got my hands dirty in it. And, but really doing it from the, from the bottom up is much different than just securing financing and doing it from the top down. And who knows if it you know, will work from the, or who knows if you're even meeting the community's needs when you're doing it, the sort of modern accepted way to do it. So the bottom up uh, idea in this historical Hamlet, I think has so much natural flow and, and Danny's participation like stemmed from that same exploration. So it's exciting. Right. Yeah. I'm curious, how did either of you um, come across Strong Towns and how has that um, approach influenced the work that you're doing? Yeah. So I can tell you Strong Towns came because of the bus, actually, to me. And it it was circuitous, but I had emblazoned the website, lexartsci.com, on the side of the school bus. And a gentleman named Danny Hinneman, uh, who's an architect, graduated Cooper Union. Um, uh, Ivan came to me and said, hey, I would love to meet. I'm an architect and I'd like to help you. The same way sort of Danny appeared, but this is before the conversation started, which we're doing now every Wednesday. So Ivan came to me and said, hey, why don't we sit down? I'd love to figure out how I can help you. And in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, can you carry like 
pieces of wood because that's what we need right now. Um, we don't. We have, there were a few architects already who reached out and kind of offered services. So uh, we sat down and it was a, we had a really nice time, like by the river, talking about all these ideas that were sort of new to me in terms of city planning. And his ideas were strong towns based. He's been a fan, but. It wasn't until a few months later they said, you know what, the, a book came out. I want you to have it. You're a Main Street reviver and you need to read this. So he sent it to me. I read it. And that was about two months ago. And that's when I started the first conversation. So Ivan came because of the bus. And that's like, it's funny because it's almost a sequential thing from taking a, a very small bet and getting to the point where we are right now um, to this sort of infancy of. A, a bigger project with a lot of future. Yeah. And you've been referencing a little bit, these um, strong towns, conversations, conversations with your community um, and maybe people beyond your locality. How did those get started? And like, just tell us a little bit about those. The first conversation, I don't know. I read the book and I was like, well, if I want to reach the community, which we're reaching some people in the community, but we're not doing it really in a coordinated way. I was thinking, well, do I make a listserv or do I like talk to the town board and kind of set up a, a town hall? And I thought, you know, well, okay, the the direct way to do it is just to start a conversation after. And that was inspired directly by the Strong Towns uh, book. And the first conversation was simply the only place we are really advertising. We have a website set up and we have an Instagram account and I've been working to get more audience on Instagram. We posted on Instagram and got a good response. I think 20 people came to the first meeting, a Zoom call. So creative placemaking is another thing that we've been studying as a way to get a project like ours off the ground, art-centric. And and so the first conversation was about that. It was about creative uh, placemaking and strong towns and how it can help our community. We got a very good response and people were excited. So we've been doing it since then. I think we're at week five or something, uh, maybe week six. Um, and tonight, after this, we're talking with a local grower. She does fresh cut flowers and does bouquets and sends them to the city of New York. She is interested in helping to foster cottage industries and small entrepreneurs and lowering the bar to entry by doing things like sharing machinery. And so that's exciting because like that would work for us too, right? Why buying a tractor is a big investment, 20, 30, $40,000. But if we can share a tractor, it cuts the price into as many fractions as you want to do. And maybe there's other ways to do things, right? So we're actually looking at, um, there's open source tractors that we might be able to build. So, so there's no limits, right? You can do anything. When we're talking about the community, there's so much talent and there's so many people. There's there's artists, there's engineers, there's makers, there's all sorts of like any any type of talent that you would want, we have. So it's just a matter of connecting. And the part of the reason why people hadn't maybe connected was because the town lacked a real forum before. And the cookie truck and the, the space in front of Lexington House was sort of, I think, one of the first forums i i don't there's a, there's been others right there's the town has other places also there's a farmers market there's the the church there's the in our side of lexington there's a post office there's certain gathering spaces there's a 
dog park on the other side, but that's not really walkable to the hamlet, for example. So I really focus on the walkable area um, where we are. We're right by a bridge. We can walk to the post office in two or three minutes. So I kind of think about that as the 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 hamlet part of the town that I'm most close to. And there's really no place for people to meet and mingle. There's a place in the park. Uh, there's a riverside bench and a children's playground. So the, it's not that there aren't things and it's not that people don't care about the town. They do deeply. But our building is really, it's been left by by the previous owners. It's not because they were bad or, or intentionally neglectful, but they had other things going on. So they just, this didn't was not a priority for a very long time. And it, it happens to be my priority right now. And I've really thrown myself into this um, head first. And so really just by creating a bit of a forum, we've allowed people to connect. I think they would have connected anyway if they had a way to, but conversations has been really almost an unavoidable way for people to connect because people hear about it. And there's some ideas that are coming already that shovels are hitting the ground. There's a community garden that, that was mentioned and now two people, two residents of the town are actually putting that together. And so we'll be out tonight. I'll make a call for that to see if anyone else is interested. I'm sure somebody will be interested. And these ideas just keep multiplying. And we're not at the point yet where we have to start kind of filtering them down. I think right now we're still at the stage where I want to hear everything. We've heard somebody wants to do a radio station. Um, that's uh, somebody owns a construction firm, wants to do that. Westkill Brewery, which is around uh, on the other side of the mountain behind us. They have a very successful business brewery and they have a, a great place, a beer garden at that same location. Um, they're interested in helping us too. And maybe who knows what, there's no limit, right? There's so much, so many resources, so many talents, um, so many people with so much energy and innovative ideas that I think right now it's just a matter of like my job is becoming to connect people and to let these ideas flow in a way that's completely uncritical and absolutely supportive. And so it's, I think that answers your question. I might've gone off a little bit, but that's, that's. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. I wanted to ask both of you and Alex, you've already started to touch on this, but to, to hear more about who you are partnering with on this, you've said that is very like bottom up grassroots, but Danny, maybe going to you, what partners are you bringing in or just people, individuals, um, organizations that have expressed interest or, you know, government entities that are like having a role in this process, if at all? Sure. So we're at the very beginning of the process where we start thinking about that. So there's a couple of entities. First, we want to um, kind of look at the Catskills region as a whole and find other people like Alex who are engaged in the process of creative placemaking, particularly those in neighboring municipalities like Prattsville, which is just down the road from Lexington. And we want to bring these people together and create an, an idea exchange network where people are sharing different ideas and sharing common approaches to problem solving. The next step is to start to reach out to local governments and identify ways in which they can help, whether it's letting them use town space for those small projects at the community garden, the kickball tournament, helping market uh, you know, uh, different uh, chefs who come to uh, take advantage of Alex's food truck, helping with uh, permitting approvals, code inspections, et cetera. So we want to create a welcoming environment for the town board members to become involved. 
because usually town board members hire consultants to come up with the very ideas that Alex has organically drawn out of the framework of Lexington. And so we wanted to kind of show the town that this is something that they can take advantage of rather than something to become afraid of. So often in rural communities, there's this us versus them tribalism, the us being the people who have lived there for generations and the them being the people who are either split time in the community or have just moved there. And I've experienced that in my career. I'm a transplant from the West Coast. Um, I've lived in this region for maybe about seven years or so. I want to um, make sure that the tribalism can be kind of thrown by the wayside and people who live in rural communities can really learn to rely on one another to kind of make this project a reality. As we move forward, you know, I envision bringing in entities um, such as regional economic developers, the county government, potentially state and federal legislators, depending on what happens. But the the main thing is to create a welcoming environment at the local level to let Alex's movement take hold. And then from there, um, I feel like I could really help out with uh, bringing in other stakeholders. Yeah. And it sounds like you're, you're also helping out with just kind of like clearing the regulatory and other, you know, barriers that might be in the way or anticipating those, um, which is also really important. That's the main thing, you know. Um, one of the things that Alex had talked to me about was that he had been dealing with some uh, trouble with the uh, parking minimums and Chuck's all of Chuck's arguments regarding parking minimums and the examples that Strongtown has of different community leaders taking on parking minimums as a uh, regulatory barrier is really, really instructive. And in fact, has led communities, in, even in my neck of the woods, to really take a hard look at their own unnecessary restrictions and regulations. I mean, so often now I see or hear people say, you know, Danny, how come this Walmart has so many parking spaces that are never that are never filled. And how come, you know, these place, small places in the Catskill, these Titanic parking lots? And I say, well, these are because of a thing called parking minimums. You want your community to encourage development, get rid of them. And I feel That's like awesome. <laughs> eliminating those regulatory barriers and allowing movements like Alex's to flourish, uh, you know, are precisely the thing that a small town would like. Because a lot of the times they see uh, a zoning code as this like, kind of scary technical document that if you take away a piece of it, uh, the whole thing falls apart. But in reality, a zoning code should be informed by the needs and wants of people like Alex and what he's trying to do. The zoning code should enable more of that and let the natural environment and the restrictions associated with the built environment take care of themselves. Yeah, well said. I, if... I can kind of bounce off, maybe explain a bit more as to the parking minimum thing. For example, the barn theater is 120 seats. And by code, we would need 60 parking spots, which takes up, I think, the better part of an acre, which is a huge area that a lot, it's all pristine land. So why would we want to put cars there anyway? My dream is that people, if it went back to the way it was in, when it was built or in the 50s, there at some point, there were hundreds of people milling around on the sidewalks or uh, like along Lexington town. And that kind of died off over the years. So my dream is that we have a pedestrian population in town that would come to the theater. So having 60 parking spaces is, in my opinion, like unnecessary at, at you know, and I haven't really discussed it with the town yet, but I think learning more about this and learning kind of creating arguments that the town understands is something that will eventually get to that point of the dialogue. We don't need the parking now. This is still like ideation, but yeah. And having Danny 
kind of and, and Ivan who are town planners who ascribe to strong towns has been super helpful in understanding the whys that why you don't need that much why why it's not it might be town code but these things need to be flexible and it's better for the town's wealth creation for them to be flexible so all this is super interesting stuff that we're going through yeah absolutely and i don't remember the exact date that the the property and the buildings date to, but I'm guessing it was a time long before parking was even a thought. Yeah, it's 1880s. So it was railroad era architecture, resort architecture. And at the time, people would take the train up from the city along uh, either the Hudson line or a different line. And they, I think they would be dropped off by horse-drawn carriages or something from the train station. So it wasn't like they were parking their cars. That was not a thing. I don't know. So in any case, like they, they definitely didn't need parking. I don't see any evidence that there was ever parking, even when it was in the 50s booming. So, you know, th- there is some parking around the buildings, but it, it's certainly not, I guess, consistent with today's zoning code. So, yeah. Alex, maybe you could just do like a really brief description of like, what does this property look like? We should have started with that. That's my bad. But like, what is the space and what are the different buildings um, on this land that you're contending with? Yeah. So I want to mention that it's gotten bigger, right? So it's initially when we, in 2019, when we first started feeling out the space, it was just our side of the river that I was concerned with. And since then, we've I was introduced to Patrick Meager and become good friends with him. And he has partnered with philanthropist Mary Kaplan, who has a lot of property across the river. So now my vision has actually crossed over the river. So it's gotten a lot bigger. Right. So that's that's kind of an important thing to think to note that like I can tell you a little bit about our property and then kind of the greater town property, if you'd like. And so our property is divided by route 42 which is a state road and that route 42 comes off of the bridge that crosses the shahari creek at that spot inside the nook of route 42 and the creek is this big boxy beautiful three-story 1880 frame structure which was built in the east lake italianate style which is traditional of uh resort style architecture of the catskills and it's one of a few surviving examples. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. Gorgeous building, in disrepair, has a giant two-story veranda. Um, and the scale of the building is just impressive. Behind that building, there are some outbuildings. And then there's an art piece by the artist Mark Dion and J. Morgan Puitt. And that is called the Shohari Creek Field Station, which was meant to be a public artwork. wasn't really used as such for a while, but it's a, I refer to it as a miniature version of the Museum of Natural History because it it's, has little specimens and it's what it was meant to be, a repository for the tools necessary to explore the watershed, the way they put it. And then across Route 42 is where the bulk of the land is. It's about, the whole thing is about 30 acres and about Three acres are on the river side of the road. And on the mountain side of the road, there's uh, there's a barn theater, which seats 120 people, like I mentioned. There are some uh, residential barracks that were used when it was a, a children's summer camp. Uh, the kids would sleep there. And then there is a farmhouse and a cottage and some other small structures. 
so there's space for residential use. There's space for workshops. There's a workshop under the barn theater. And reacting all of that allows spaces for like makers spaces. And the the big building, which I mentioned first, is the space that we envision as kind of the core of the entire project and possibly of the town also. And it would be a gathering space and a space for artists to work, for writers. It could be artists of every stripe might be doing work there. That's Lexington Arts and Science. And then across the river is there's another hotel, a sister hotel. The Lexington House, which is part of Lexington Arts and Science, was built as a response to the Lexington Hotel because there were two cousins who got upset with each other. And so this was his response. And wow. the, okay. yeah, and they're both really beautiful buildings. Um, the Lexington Hotel was a bit damaged by floodwaters in 2011. 2011 was a bad year took out a lot of infrastructure and residential homes and businesses from uh, Lexington and neighboring Prattsville. And that's, uh, you know, there was a lot of recovery efforts since 2011. On that side of the river, also, there's a lot of residential properties. The town has a a water treatment uh, field, which was built by the city of New York in order to avoid having to build a water purification plant, they built sewer system for the entire town. So we are blessed and we have our own sewer system and it's basically paid for and there's no uh, maintenance costs, which is something that separates it from the strong towns ideas. Uh, It's something that really doesn't apply to us. We have the infrastructure costs. Most people are on well water and most people have this town sewer, which is, so it's an artificial cost reduction over the long term. So we, we don't have that thing to confront with, which could be potentially very, very expensive to build and maintain, which means we don't have to worry about things like septic, which is a big problem in watershed. Designing septic systems is very expensive. We don't have that problem. And we also have the ability to uh, use our very overbuilt water treatment system with commercial use. So we could have commercial use in the buildings that we have. So that's another big advantage. But on the other side of the river, so you have the Lexington Hotel, and then there's, um, on the other side of the river, there's a post office. And I mentioned residential housing and a a large field. There's another, there's a a large barn, which eventually could be used as uh, artist studios or event space or uh, a few different things. And so, like I said, the, the bird's eye view of the place has gotten bigger and it encompasses a lot of uh, the town. And a lot of those places that I mentioned w- weren't in the best level of maintenance. So it, it was a drag on the town and it's you know, our intention to prevent that from persisting into the future. Yeah. As we close here, let's talk about the future. For both of you, what are your hopes to see come to fruition or to get started in this next year or so for this project? You mentioned garden and a lot of other potential ideas. Danny, let's hear from you. Like, What are your hopes for the next steps of this project and your involvement? Sure. So in terms of the my broad vision, I'll start broad and kind of go narrower. My goal is to create an idea exchange between the city of Kingston through the Catskills and into the city of Oneonta, where 
people from the, all both regions, both the Hudson Valley and then the western slope of the Catskills, where I am, we can all come in and help uh, towns from the bottom up, like citizen-led planning efforts and help revitalization projects like the one that Alex is undertaking with the Lexington Hotel. More specifically, what I'd like to do is to create um, clear objectives and organize all of the ideas into clear actions that can be undertaken, identify all the regulatory barriers associated with them, and then knock them off one by one. And Heck yeah. Exactly, right? That's a strong town's approach. And, and I want to make sure that you know, when we talk with town officials, the idea of wealth is twofold. The first thing is you want to, wealth comes from social infrastructure, people being able to interact and share their ideas within the community. The second involves the idea that these bottom-up approaches are much more efficient in terms of taxes and in terms of expenditures than having consultants come from the outside or county planners come in and say, here's like, you know, $3 million projects that you could take that may or may not work. Why not, you know, empower the citizens to do what they think would work and create a giant lab for experimentation in the town? So that's kind of what I envision the next year bringing. And also, I hope to bring in a lot of my colleagues and friends who have experience in the field and dedicate our time to helping Alex and his movement succeed. And Alex, what's your vision for the next year or so or the coming months? I think it's basically continue what we have been doing and listening to the people from the community and helping people move ahead ideas that we think help generate wealth for the community, which at the end of the day is pretty much anything. So any any half-baked idea is a, a good idea at this point. So we are much pushing forward to these things. So the other thing we plan on continuing is using whatever income we have from the activities that we do to support arts. We had a few arts residencies and a bunch of free events that we hosted on the property. And all those were supported by the small commercial activities that we're, we're using to sustain this artistic focus. Danny's larger vision, I share that. I want the town to become a lab for fantastic experimentation and to create a community built around the arts and um, for the community. That is a beautiful vision indeed. Final question for both of you. What advice would you have for others who might be listening, probably not taking on a project quite of this scale, but who maybe see uh, an empty space or an abandoned or forgotten structure in their community and want to use that as a hub for the sort of activity you're talking about, or just to support these sorts of new projects, incubators, bottom-up entrepreneurial activities in their community. What advice would you have for people wanting to take action in some way? Danny, let's start with you. Uh, Great. Thank you so much. So my whole kind of vision or advice that I'd share is that to take your daily conversations around the dinner table about what your community needs or what it's missing and inject it into the public space. Start going door to door to business to business, person to person, share your idea um, saying, hey, you know that vacant lot over there, you know, it would be cool uh, community garden. And then if they share their idea, take that and get people talking about that space. Say, hey, let's go to the uh, city council meeting and share our idea. And the bottom up pressure you know, usually picks up steam in the middle of an election year. If someone comes to your door and saying, you know what, I'd like you to see you something to do something with this vacant lot, do it and 
get these idea sharing mechanisms going. The other thing uh, from a local official standpoint is local officials need to stop worrying about the minutia of their municipal budget. They need to start thinking about their community and how to generate wealth within it. Stop being so obsessed with growth. Stop being so obsessed with giving tax breaks and the race to the bottom economics. Start thinking about the value that each piece of land in your community provides to you. And if there is a lot that's underperforming, if there is a neighborhood that's underperforming, or if there are small neighborhoods that you traditionally wouldn't think that is actually overperforming, figure out what's working and what's not working and get citizens involved saying, I would love to hear from you. Tell me what to do. Because so often uh, local leaders are elected thinking that they have to come up with every solution. Whereas in fact, why not take advantage of the intellectual capital in your community and get the ideas flowing? So if I could clone Alex and bring him to Oneonta, I would. But uh, for all the Alexes in the woodwork, get to your town board meeting, get to your city council meeting and start making noise and rattling the cage. That's the best uh, advice that I could share. Yeah, That's preach. Yeah. Alex, what advice would you have for people wanting to get started with? a project of whatever scale to, to help make their town stronger. There's no project that's too small that makes a difference. And like that could be, if you ha- if there's a blank wall, find somebody to do a mural on it. Like anything that that is action is worthwhile. So don't think it's too small. Planting a fruit tree is a great way to build community because people gather, you'd be surprised how many people gather around. We have an apple tree in, in Brooklyn and people are amazed by that because I share apples and grapes and things that grow in front of that, the house. Dream big and take lots of small bets is what I think. I, don't be afraid to to keep taking the bets as, as Chuck writes. You can take tons of small bets and not break any legs all day long and you can keep taking small bets. So those small bets are super important. If you're not part of a conversation, start one. It's scary at first, but you'll get through it and you'll feel empowered feel free to call us and get involved with us if you'd like. There's lots to do. <laughs> Whether you're an architect and you want to design something or you want to carry a, sticks and make a, a wigwam, we're down. So whatever it is, uh, here we are. So Fantastic. Well, Danny Lappin and Alex Rodriguez, thank you so much for being part of this this podcast, for joining us. Um, it's been just wonderful to hear from you, and I'm feeling very inspired by seeing how you're doing this work in your community and, and leading the bottom-up revolution. So thanks for being on the podcast. You guys have inspired us. Keep up the great work. <laughs> thank you, Rachel. So much to take in in that interview, right? I'm going to make sure to share links to the Lexington Arts and Science website and Instagram and all the other resources that they mentioned in this conversation. A few reminders, as usual, my inbox is open to you to submit listener voicemails or emails letting us know something that you're doing in your community to take action. would love to hear from you. And also, of course, Strong Towns is supported by membership donations from people like you. A lot of people, I think, don't actually realize this. We do have folks who come to us and say, hey, I'm a Strong Towns member. And we're like, um, actually, you're not a member. We don't have you on our list. We would love to have you on our list. You literally would only have to donate $1 a year to be a member. It just helps us to know who is part of this movement, right? Like who's out there doing this work. So if that's you, please step up and help support us. 
it also really makes a difference when we are approaching other funders um, to do new projects, to do um, new initiatives that will create further resources and support for you all. It helps to be able to show them like we have this many thousand donors, small scale donors who are supporting strong towns from the bottom up. So if you believe in this movement, please, please come support us in whatever amount works for you. Head to strongtowns.org membership to make your contribution today. Thank you so much. We love um, hearing from you. We love getting connected with you all. And that's a small way to make that happen. All right. I will see you next week for the next episode of this show. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.